Church History Matters, Episode 40. Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of Church History Matters. I am Joseph Knowles. Knowles. Yes. And no. I am I am Ruben Rosales. Thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, it's been a while. Yep. Didn't get to get an episode out last month. But, you know, we're going to try to catch up. Yes, we're yeah. back. We're back. Yes. So we haven't gone anywhere. It's just been life busy. Goodness. No, yeah, it has been crazy busy. Yeah. There's a lot been going on. Yeah. Um, in our church and mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. So um, this is, well, there'll be a little bit of a different episode. I don't think we've done one quite like this. Before. No, I don't think we have either. Um, so we've got a book that we're going to talk about. The and... KKK. <laughs> oh my, yes. That was... I'm sorry, KK and K. <laughs> yes, uh, maybe an un... a slightly unfortunate set of names. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, especially for our uh, Baptist listeners, it will be helpful. Yeah, I think I think for a lot of folks, because I remember I was just sharing with somebody at work how um, growing up Roman Catholic, uh, you just you just you know where you come from, right? You know, it's it's the Roman Catholic Church, and in their view, the only true Church of God, and so that was like the the mantle that we wore, and I wore, and I proudly boasted of, and so I would ask, you know. Others, well, where do where do Baptists come from? Uh, and yeah, no, I mean, they most of them couldn't tell me even what a Baptist believes. What makes them a John Baptist. the Baptist? Right. That's where they right. came from. <laughs> not, not. <laughs> yeah, well, but we'll, we'll get we'll get into all that. But uh, first, we want to do this week in church history. All right. So this episode will be released, Lord willing, on August 17th, which is my birthday. Uh, But the event that we're talking about happened the day before that. So this is August 16th of 1642. Queen Christiana of Sweden Mm. uh, commissions Lieutenant Colonel John Prince as governor of New Sweden, which was the their colony in the New World. Did you know that Sweden had colonies in the New World? I did not. Yes. Today, New Sweden. Hold on, hold on. That must have been like Michigan or something, right? Today we call it Delaware. Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> that also makes sense. Um, so they set sail aboard the ship known as Renown, but one of the other uh, passengers on that ship was a Lutheran pastor by the name of John Campanius, or Campanius, or however you want to say his name. Um, so he's going there kind of to take over um, for a previous pastor who had who had died. So they arrive at Fort Christina, which is near what would now be Wilmington, Delaware, in the middle of February 1643. And uh, Pastor Campanius gets to work. Um, so he has a number of firsts in the colonial time. So he's kind of really one of the first missionaries to New England's Native Americans who functioned uh, in that capacity. Not just, you know, the Puritans had churches and they might have had, but as far as being more intentional about it. Um, So he is reaching out to the inhabitants of Delaware, which are the Lenape people, 
and Joe Biden. Right. Yes. I mean, he's not quite. Well, <laughs> I don't know. How old is he? Uh, moving on. Moving on. Um, so he learn he learns their language, and he actually takes it upon himself to translate Luther's small catechism into the Lenape language. Um, so it wasn't actually published until later in the 17th century, but it is one of the first major European texts to be translated into a North American language. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah, he also consecrates a log church because at the time he kind of had to be going and visiting people in their houses. Um, and he wanted to have a gathering place. So he there's this log church that's um, commissioned on Tinicum Island, which you would think, oh, and that's like in the middle of the river or something. N- no, it's <laughs> now it's it's a uh, landlocked um, part of Delaware. Yeah, it's in Delaware. It's near it's near Phil- where Philadelphia is today. OK, um, but that church building was the first Lutheran church building in what is today Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, so that was another first for him. And then he's also uh, known as the first weatherman what? in in North America because while he was here during 1644 and 1645, he would make uh, twice daily notations about the weather conditions in that part of Delaware. And as far as historians are able to tell, he's the first person to have kept those kind of observations in uh, what is now the United States, North America. Hmm. So, um, yeah, but probably the bigger contribution was that translation of the small catechism where most of the Native American peoples at that time, you know, the, the uh, European settlers could get by on a mixture of sign language and what we might call pidgin English today. So you've got one or two words. You're not really making sentences, but there's a right. problem with that. You can't you can't preach a sermon that way. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, imagine... Uh, Kevin from the office. Why use many words when few words work well? Yeah, <laughs> you can't. You can't do a that's sermon. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah, you can't. You can't do a sermon. You can't really. It, it becomes extremely difficult to uh, to teach anything regarding yeah. the faith. So for him to take that step of um, translating the the small catechism into their own language was, you know, was a significant step. So. Um, that's that's cool. yeah. That is that was pretty neat to find out, and that did happen this week in church history, three hundred and eighty years ago, wow. August sixteenth. Wow, pretty cool. Yeah, New Sweden was was interesting. It is interesting. I'd never heard of that. Yeah, well, and it's kind of gone now. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, New history. Spain, New yeah. England, New. Yeah, I know New England. Yeah, New France what was that Louisiana. Uh, well, that was part of it, yeah, but... Uh, New Orleans? The French parts of Canada, so... Uh, uh, Montreal, the French-speaking parts, yeah. The trash parts of Canada. <laughs> well, you know, to each his own, to yeah. each his own. All right, so KK and K. Yes, well, the title of the book, we should probably say at this point, <laughs> is Kiffin, Knowles, and Keach, Rediscovering Our English Baptist Heritage by Michael A.G. Haken who is a professor at several different institutions, I think, um, Heritage Theological Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario, as well as uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, but this is his book about uh, the, his- the early history of the English Baptists. And uh, we had been reading it uh, as a group of men at the church, and we just decided to 
plow forward and make that fodder for an episode today. Yeah, and I think, again, just because I think a lot of folks don't really have any idea of what the Baptist history is. Yeah. Uh, where do we come from as Baptists and what makes us Baptists? Mm-hmm. What is the distinction of Baptist, the Baptist faith? Yeah, and I think that would be, so it's kind of, the, the title refers to those three men who are William Kiffin, Hansard Knowles, and it's spelled Nollis. So it looks like K-N-O-L-L-Y-S, which is different really from how I spell my name, but pronounced the same. Yeah. Um, and then Benjamin Keach, who is probably well known for Keach's catechism. Which may or may not be rightly called Keach's right. catechism. Yes, commonly so, referred to. Commonly referred to. Keech's the catechism. 1693 catechism. Right. Baptist yes. catechism. Yes. Um, so it's not a it's not a lengthy book. It's a little under 200 pages. Um, mm, even, is that including the index or, um, or the appendix? Yeah, or? including the appendix, oh, which okay. is uh, uh, a reprint of a... Uh, a pamphlet, I guess, or a short little book booklet by uh, Thomas Wilcox. Yeah. Which is fantastic, by the way. Um, but then it's kind of divided up into, once you get past the introduction, you've got a chapter. And the second introduction. Right. We've got a forward to the first edition because we've got the second edition. Yeah. Um, which is put out in 2019. So this For- is first forward, second forward. And then the introduction. And then the introduction. And then a note to the second edition. And then a note to the, yep. And then you get to the book. And then finally, <laughs> where this is actually probably one of the, the coolest things from the first one, uh, first little session that we did is, yeah. as a group of men, was this little chart that's here. Mm-hmm. And I will have to try to snap a picture of it and put it in the uh, yeah in the notes somewhere. Uh, but you guys should good. look at it. It's a very good. And essentially, it's, 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 it's like a family tree almost. Yeah, of where the Baptists come from. And then you have... You know, you, all of them come from Puritans. Right. Uh, not, as is, I want to say maliciously <laughs> called or stated, but I don't, uh, we'll be gracious to our brother. There you go. Uh, we can say falsely so falsely called. Falsely so like called. Exactly. Sound. Yeah. Falsely <laughs> so called Anabaptist, which right. have a theology that is completely different than what we hold to. Um, that's a separate thing, but it does go into that. It go, The book goes into the different views on the bap- where Baptists come from. Right. And I think the one that the author lands on and with the one in which I would agree with is that the Baptists are uh, an- or not an- descended from the Puritans. Correct. Yes. So that's kind of the... F- he, he deals with... Dr. Haken talks about that in the first chapter. It's just the question of Baptist origins. One that we had... We talked about a little bit when we got together and then uh, we may have mentioned it in passing here or there. Yeah. Um, so there's the English, descended from the English Puritans, which I think is probably historically the, the accurate one. Yeah. The question of Anabaptists, you know, that they descended from the Anabaptists, which really is not borne out by the history. They came up at the same time, but it doesn't mean one came from the other. And then the third one is, I don't even know. <laughs> how uh, how does uh, Dr. Haken describe it? Um, or what does he call it? Um, I think- The right view. Well, no, the other one, the uh, oh, the successionist view. Oh yeah, that's the wrong, yeah. the other wrong one. The other, yeah. yeah, the other wrong one. Which we've mentioned before about the yeah. landmark Baptist and the yeah, yeah. trail of blood, right? And essentially, that since John the Baptist, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. That's where There's we trace our Baptist. No, I mean, the, I think what they, what those um, brothers are trying to uphold is the truth, which we would 
Agreed. also affirm Absolutely. that there there never has been a time when a true churches were totally removed from the earth. Right. You know, there always have been churches that have held to held to the gospel. Absolutely. Where they go wrong, I think, is in trying to trace that line and have it, you know, trace all the pieces and put it together. Right. Because you run into, I mean, you run into some problems where it it becomes, uh, and this is uh, the book, The Trail of Blood by J.M. Carroll is uh, maybe the most representative of that view. But he basically takes any group that was rejected by the Catholic Church after, you know, after Constantine and kind of claims them for this long line of wow. true churches, which if you dig just a little bit into some of these groups, it becomes a big problem real quick because yeah. sometimes like the only thing that they had right was believers baptism. Right. And even then their view of baptism would not be one that Baptists today would agree with. Yeah. So you you get in get yourself into trouble trying to latch onto that one thing and say, look, there's Baptists all the way back to the first century. And like, right. Uh, and that is another distinction between the Anabaptists is that they were ones who would pour or sprinkle. Correct. So that's another distinction. Yeah. Um, aside from the theological beliefs, but that right. stems from their theological yep. beliefs. So. Yep. All right. And then you do have the next. So he 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 kind of lays out the question of Baptist origins. I really appreciated the next chapter, which was a chapter fully on the Calvinistic Baptists. Yeah. So he basically goes into a lot more detail about um, how did the um, English particular Baptists come about? What were some of the first churches? So he talks about the JLJ church or Jacob Lathrop Jesse church, which was uh, effectively maybe the first particular Baptist church in England. It's always hard to say because a lot of these groups came up at the same time and they were, you know, working in tandem with other churches a lot of the time. So if, yeah, so, if there were going to be one that we say that's probably the first one, I think that's that may be it. Right, because there he makes the distinction between them, the Calvinistic Baptist and the General Baptist and the General Baptist and the Particular Baptist, as they also are called. Um, that word particular and general speaks to their belief on the atonement of Jesus Christ, the general Baptist holding to that belief, which is Christ's atonement was general in nature and thus could be, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, laid hold of by who, whomever. Right. Um, the particular Baptist held to the belief that the atonement was for a particular people. And so Christ, not one drop of Christ's blood was wasted. And so there was there, you know, again, that's just one of the views. And it's, it's not a view that is different from the Presbyterian view either. Right. So, well, and, the good Presbyterians. Yes. And I, and I misspoke because actually it's not the Jacob Lathrop Jesse Church. And Dr. Haken actually spells it out. Um, he talks about uh, John Spillsbury. Ah, yes. Um, he said, his church is clearly the first that can be definitely designated as a Calvinistic Baptist cause. Now, John Spillsbury may have been a member of the Jacob Lathrop Jesse Church at one point. So that church kind of preceded him as a Baptist church, but they were still on the road to becoming a particular Baptist, I think, is the distinction there. So they were definitely separating out, um, but had not yet gone all the way to the particular Baptist that we we know them as today. Right. So this was in the uh, mid-17th century? 
Yeah, so you're we're talking late take. 1630s to early 1640s. Yeah. Yep. And then they come to the first London Confession of Faith, which actually happened before the Westminster divines, you know, followed the ordinance of their king to assemble and yes. <laughs> create a, uh, yes. you know. Yeah, so that first London Confession of Faith is uh, 1644, and that mm. was seven of the there were ministers from seven of the churches there in London um, who were uh, leading those particular Baptist congregations got together. And one of the, and we've already kind of alluded to it a little bit, but one of the uh, precipitating events was, we're not Anabaptists. Please right. stop calling us that. <laughs> <laughs> and not to make, not to make light of it because it was, it was a serious issue, but they had, you know, serious theological differences. Yeah. And there was the, the general, view of those that were called Anabaptists. Right. They viewed them as essentially anar I don't want to say anarchists, but Yeah. Well, they had they definitely um rebellious? Yeah. At le- or at least potentially rebellious. Right. Um and a lot of that is owing to what at the time was still, you know, not with not quite within living memory, but it was close enough that people would remember it was the Munster Rebellion. Yeah. So that's about 100 years before but if you remember when we talked about that, like they left those guys' skeletons hanging there for yeah. 100 years or more. Some It was like 70 or 80 years. And then they left the cages hanging on the outside of the church um, for a couple centuries after that, uh, just to give the people the idea of, of what they do. So that's that's the picture that a lot of people have in their mind of what an Anabaptist was and what they stood for. So right. they definitely didn't want to be identified with that. And also there were false accusations that were coming about due to uh, a lascivious lifestyle or nature of living, which was lewd and, and just immoral. Mm-hmm. And so they, they wanted to put that to rest as well. Right. And I believe there were only seven churches for the first London right. confession. Correct. And and I think later on, Dr. Haken goes on to describe it as the golden age or period in which between 19, I'm sorry, 16 50s to 1670s where things really begin to uh, take a turn for the Baptist, the Calvinistic particular Baptist mm-hmm. and the churches. So by 1677, when the second Baptist is actually, the second London Baptist is written, um, there's substantially more churches. Right. I, I guess one of the other issues that they, they had to deal with at the time um, had to do with the act of baptism itself. Yeah. Where there were some pretty uh, uh, salacious accusations right. about what they, how they were practicing that ordinance. Now, there were people running around saying, well, the Baptists, you know what they do, right? They get naked. They get naked. And, well, I mean, not just that they get naked, but they're sending men and women right. down to the river in the middle, in the middle of winter yeah. um, or the river or the pond to get baptized. And yeah. they're all naked and they're all there together. Right. So they also wanted to respond to that to say, no, that's not yeah. all what is happening. Um, we're observing uh, proper modesty when we do this. People have appropriate clothing. Um, so that was also an issue around that same time. And one of the things that, that kind of prompted them to start saying, here's what, here's what we believe and here's our actual practice. So you can, if you want to know, just pick up the document that we wrote and you'll figure it out. Right. And there were also some theological um, thing points made. There's There are some differences, some notable differences between the first London Confession and the second London Confession. Mm-hmm. 
um, both in the theology and specifically ecclesiology. And that's kind of what is covered in chapter seven and eight. So Dr. Yeah. Haken goes into the purpose of the confession, talking about what had changed in between the 1640s and the 1670s, 1680s. And also talks about the theology of the confession in the in chapter eight there. So those are those are just tremendous. Yeah. Um, the other chapters, so this chapter four, five, and six, and then and again in chapter nine, he talks about uh, four men from that area. Um, the first being William Kiffin, uh, and then Hansard Knowles, and uh, Benjamin Keach, who are on the title of the book. But he also has and a Norcott. chapter about John Norcott. Yeah. yeah. That one was the most interesting to me. Yeah. I had no idea. Right. That was really cool to read that, um, of the the impact that he made. So he's the one who had, yeah, Norcott is the one who has um, the ah, trapping is God baptism. Yeah. yeah, that was excellent. That was beautiful. To me, I'm like, man, this is so case closed. This is ridiculous. Yeah. This is great. It was really good. Um, so that one, that Probably is it is name was a name I hadn't heard. Yeah, and the other one was if I've I've Ivory or Iver Ivily I can't, I can't remember how it was pronounced. How I don't even know how it was pronounced, <laughs> but I don't know how it was spelled. It was it looked like Ivy, but there was another letter in there somewhere. Ivamy, Ivamy, Ivamy or Ivamy. Yeah, that I V I M Y I V I M E Y of Amy. <laughs> We'll find out when we go for our next uh, next group meeting. Right. Guess. Yeah, we'll, ask, we'll put Pastor on the spot. Yes. How do you pronounce that? <laughs> um, well, I thought it was, and I think one of the, this was where the story about the um, Captain Francis Langdon, who wanted to be baptized. The problem, Oh, that was so great. Yeah, yeah. that was interesting. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Hagen writes, the only problem was that Langdon was suffering from pulmonary tuberculosis and was extremely weak. Hmm. So he is an elderly or at least sickly man. I guess we don't know his age. Um, but it said he had been a member of the Bare Bones Parliament. So that's at least a couple decades before. And he's, he wants to be baptized. And several of the opponents of, well, for one thing, Langdon believed that God would heal him when right. he was baptized, which they prayed. I mean, they prayed over that yeah. and they, they talked him through that. Um, but then it was basically told to them, you can't baptize this sickly man outdoors in the winter in January. You yeah. can't do that. You, it it will be murdering him. You right. will kill him if you do this. Yeah, that was actually what some uh, two people actually made that exact argument. Like this right. is a violation of the sixth commandment. Right. So obviously this was something that a decision that required uh, great discernment and conviction. Care, yeah, yeah, and conviction. Um, so they did. Go ahead with the baptism. Yeah. And I, I love that it, he admitted the guy was not, he was like, I don't have enough. I can't, I'm not, I don't have the, the faith to do this, to right. perform this baptism because I can't, in, in conscience, he couldn't, wouldn't let him do it. And so yeah. he asked another brother who was there right. and that brother performed yeah. the baptism. And when he came up, they say he was healed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, that's, it's an incredible story. And, um, it's hard to even know what what to say to that because it's yeah. so un it's so unusual to our experience. Not just of I mean, you've got miraculous healing, which sure. certainly don't certainly something you don't see every day. But then you've got a man who is 
determined to be baptized yeah. despite all these things working against him. Well, and they and the way they paint this picture is like every day, day by day, this man is looking sicklier and yeah. sicklier. And then when they came to the day of his baptism, they said it it was no longer day by day. It was minute by minute. Will he make it there yeah. today? Yeah. yeah. He's he's they had no idea if he was going to survive. And, and the Lord healed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so to some, they believe that that was God blessing mm-hmm. the mode of baptism. Right. So that is something that is definitely particular to Baptist is we dis- dis- uh, make a distinction of how the mode of baptism should be performed. Mm-hmm. And that is full immersion, um, head to toe yeah. into water. Right. And there's some reasons for that. Yeah. So what are those reasons? Well, the one is that it is meant to picture Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't put him in the grave and sprinkle some dirt on his forehead. I love that example. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> boom, you like throw some dirt on somebody, you're buried. I <laughs> yeah. just buried you. Nope, nope. That's not, that's not what happened. He went in the ground. The grave was covered over. He was mm. completely covered mm. uh, by the grave. So that is what immersion is meant to picture, Yeah, is that total covering, that there's no mistaking it. He was he was dead. He yep. was in the grave. Um, so that's I mean that's a big one. And yeah, I think the throwing dirt at somebody was a was a it was a little cheeky, but yeah. also it's it's vivid and it sticks with you. Yes, it does. It's like uh, <laughs> I just think it was it was excellent. It was an excellent picture. And then he also talks about Galatians chapter two, I believe, right? Or is it five? I can't remember. It's one of this one of those. But in it, he talks about how I have been buried with yes. Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you, and, and you've been raised in him to walk in the newness of life. And so if that's true upon baptism, then you can only baptize believers. Mm-hmm. And so these are very, very sound arguments that, right. that are being presented and made in the book. And I think it that's probably been my favorite thing is to say, yeah, these these are not only the heirs of the Reformation, but I think they get it right mm-hmm. in this regard. Um, and we still love our Presbyterian brothers. We love our Presbyterian preachers. Um, but that is our conviction. Mm-hmm. And one other thing that, and this, this is from the first London confession, but speaking to why, why this particular mode, why going completely under the water. Um, but one of the reasons is that and this is Dr. Heakin, he says, finally, it helps to give the believer assurance that just as he or she is raised up from the waters of baptism, here he quotes the confession, so certainly shall the bodies of the saints be raised by the power of Christ in the day of resurrection. So that, I think that's helpful as well, because it it pictures not only death and burial, but also resurrection. So if you've just been, if you've sprinkled some water in the forehead, you're not coming back up out of anything. Right. And that's another thing that we, you know, at least in our church is, is definitely taught and, and proclaimed every Lord's day is that this is a picture, a sermon picture. This is, uh, and, and that's perfectly fitting with scripture because Mm -hmm. every time the prophets of the old Testament were, uh, prophesying, they would do, they would act out. They would show a picture of what the Lord has said or what the Lord is going to do. And you see that exact same thing here. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a promise from God that is pictured in the Lord's Supper and also pictured for us in the immersion and then raising up out of the water. 
uh, a picture and a sermon to us to remember our baptism, to remember our confession of faith, and to remember that God has promised he will raise us up on the last day. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. I and I was wrong. It was Galatians three twenty seven. Okay. Yeah, as many as many of you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to me in learning more about these men whose names I knew and a little bit of their history I knew, uh, but just to be reminded how in a uh, in a land where there was at least a measure of religious freedom to an extent, but yeah. not. Not really, not right. what we know today. Um, they were willing to go to jail, yeah, uh, to be put in the stocks and publicly mocked and physically abused. And uh, and now I can't remember which one it was. That's what I was looking for. But it's one of the the three. Might have been. It might have been. Might have been Keach. It might have been Keach. Because I don't remember it for Kiffin or Knowles. So, yeah. And I didn't get to Keach, so. So he's uh, he's told not to sing, or not not to sing. I flipped past the page about the hymn singing controversy. Ah. Um, but he's, he's told not to preach. And if you don't, then you will be, yeah, there it is. Okay. He had to stand for a period of two hours, twice, in the pillory. Um, so this is the thing you've... See, I mean, they have one at Colonial Williamsburg. Yeah, yeah, Put yeah. your hands and your head through the hole, and you have to kind of stand there and take whatever passersby decide to dish out, which yeah. might be verbal insults, might be throwing stuff at you. Um, but he takes the opportunity to preach. Nice. While he's in the pillory. Um, and eventually, I think the um, they said, you know, the reason you're in there is for preaching errors. So you better stop. Um, or the, one of the Church of England clergymen approaches him and, you know, try to shut him down. Right. And he shuts them down. Nice. <laughs> because they basically, Gave him the uno reverse. Yes, exactly. Um, and he kind of put them in their place and they had to kind of like slink off embarrassed yeah. because they didn't know their stuff. Mm. Um, and eventually they, you know, the authorities came and told him like, if you don't stop, we're going to gag you and you'll have to stand for two, your two hours with a gag in your mouth. So eventually he, he you know, he decided, all right, well, I'll, I'll be quiet. I don't right. have to endure quite that. And I thought this was another interesting uh, anecdote that, that uh, Dr. Haken includes about uh, Benjamin Keach. It says, um, it, there was an occasion when Keach was apprehended in the act of preaching by a troop of cavalrymen. Four of them were so enraged with him that they swore that they would trample him to death with their horses. He was accordingly bound and forced to lie on the ground. But just as they were about to spur their horses down upon their victim, their commanding officer arrived and prevented them from harming Keach, who almost certainly would have been killed. So, I mean, these guys kind of have funny hair, and they wear the funny little white collars, but these are some dude bros. I mean, (laughs) I mean, these four cavalrymen, you want to tie me up and trap me with your horses? I mean, he couldn't really stop them, one against four. Um, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't afraid to even, even in the stocks to, to go and, and continue preaching. That is uh, a hefty rebuke to modern day yeah. Christians. I would say just Christians in oh, general, yeah. because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are more timid than we ought to be. And I don't mean that we ought to be obnoxious just for the sake of being obnoxious, but that we could learn a thing or two from mm-hmm. these brothers and that 
when we are proclaiming the word of God, we ought to be bold and not have any fear. Mm-hmm. But it is it is in this day um, for people, especially younger than us, which we, Joseph and I are both about to be 40, so he, he a lot sooner than me. But <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, folks that are younger than us, I think have a lot more anxiety mm, mm-hmm. with just going up and talking to folks. Right. And there's reasons for that, but we, we won't go into right. that now. Yeah, that's a little, what do you, a little outside the scope. What do you think about uh, Knowles and uh, Kiffin? Their little uh, interaction there that they had in the book. Oh, remind me. I think it was Knowles and Kiffin, or was it Ke- Knowles and Keach? No, it was Knowles and Kiffin. Uh, Kiffin, uh, you know, and his prayer of faith. Oh, the physical, the part about... Uh, yeah, the physical healing. Physical healing? Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me just read this here. Uh, the same year that this assembly took place in London, Knowles was involved in a fascinating event that is recorded by Thomas Crosby in the History of English Baptists. Crosby's father-in-law was Benjamin Keach, who was taken ill in 1689 and was expected to die. But Crosby records... The Reverend Mr. Hansard Knowles, seeing his dying, his then dying friend and brother in the gospel near to all appearance expiring, betook himself to prayer and in an earnest and very extraordinary manner begged that God would spare him and add unto his days the time he granted to his servant Hezekiah. And as soon as he had ended his prayer, he said, Brother Keach, I shall be in heaven before you and quickly after left him. Knowles would die two years later. Keach lived another 15 years, dying in 1704. The same span of years God added to the life of Hezekiah, according to Isaiah 38. Yeah. That, that was, was interesting. That was very interesting. And um, I, I think basically Knowles' position was not... Uh, well, I think the cessationist position... I feel like kind of is a misnomer sometimes. Yeah, I would, because, I, would th- I would think that's fair. Because I think the picture I, you get in your mind of when somebody says there's, they are a cessationist means they think those... There's no such thing as any as extraordinary. Right, yes. The extraordinary gifts are gone altogether right. from the face of the earth and God doesn't do that anymore. Right. I don't think that's quite what most people who would fall under that umbrella of cessationist would say. Right. Though there are probably some. There pro- there are probably some, yes. And I'm of I but I think the majority position would be kind of what Knowles was saying. Yeah. It's like we don't yes, we don't ordinarily see that anymore for a number of reasons, which um if you really want a, just a good concise work on that, it's um the final word. Yes. The Final Word by O. Palmer Robertson. And that's just a little compact book, maybe 120 pages. Yeah, and fairly it's, small. It's small, um, but it goes into, I think, what's a really good case as to why we don't see those uh, sign gifts, as you might call them, uh, speaking in tongues, prophecy, uh, healings. But right. Knowles would say, you know, we're instructed to, in James, in James yeah. chapter 4, to go and to anoint people with oil and pray for healing. Yeah. So there's no reason that we can't, you know, take that instruction and prayer, pray that prayer in faith and, 
expect God to answer it. Yeah. Uh, he, he always answers prayer. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or, I mean, he, he would, I think he'd go farther and say, there's no reason we can't do that and expect to see healing. Right. Um, which I think was farther than a lot of his uh, other Baptist friends were willing to go at that time. Sure. Um, I think there's a lot of folks that wouldn't go that far yeah. even now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. It, even so, it, I'm like, oh, I don't I don't know, man. That's, hmm. Beca- mm-hmm. Because you don't, we, we don't see that kind of thing every day, or at least if we see it, we don't necessarily know that um, that's what's going on. Right. Part of that is, you know, living in, the United States in the 21st century where we have so much modern medicine where at least to, at least to our eyes, it looks like, well, there's, you know, there's no need for miraculous healings because we have chemotherapy. We have, you know, whatever magic <laughs> yeah, pharmacia. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> That'd be an interesting topic to just dive into. Yeah, maybe For sure. Yeah. At some anyway, point. Yeah. Some yeah. point. We digress. Yes. So yeah, that was that that definitely was an interesting little incident, and the the fact that he lived for fifteen more years is definitely intriguing. Yes, makes you makes you do the uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson right. brow. Yeah, <laughs> which I can't do, but no, neither yeah. can I. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so uh, that was definitely one of the cooler things that I thought uh, I saw was uh, Norcutt. And and that interaction between Nulls and Keach mm-hmm. was very very fascinating to me. Yeah, and I think and I think I've said this before. I th- it seems to me it's in my estimation that there is a lack of faith with regards to prayer, mm-hmm. or you know, to be more precise, of the ordinary means of grace. Right. And I think part of that is people expect the extraordinary mm-hmm. instead of trusting that God will work in the ordinary. Right. And so that's part of the problem. So I think if you begin to pray in the ordinary and you make that your, uh, your faithful obedience, I think that is God works through that more faithfully mm-hmm. than you expecting something extraordinary. Yeah. And I think there's actually an example of that in the book because I underlined it as in the first three chapters that we already discussed with the group. Um, but it was the fact that the JLJ church, which again is starting up in the late 1630s, uh, by 1640, they had to move to another building and churches would have to move from time to time, sometimes maybe because of persecution. But the reason they had to move in 1640 was because they outgrew the building, Mm. um, which is a great reason to have to move to a different building. But if you think about it, um, what is a particular Baptist church in 1640 doing that leads to this explosive growth? Well, growth of any church is a, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Um, but it's exa- they were doing exactly what you were just talking about. It was the ordinary men's of grace. Yeah. Preaching the word, administering the sacraments, prayer, church discipline. Um, but What's that's, that? But that's it. I mean, that was it. Like, they didn't have... Um, you know, they didn't have steak dinners, um, or right. potlucks, uh, or potlucks, or harvest fest, or you know, name your program. And I'm not not trying to get on a soapbox about programs, right? But when when you think about it, like why that that's what the Lord will bless. And it's not to say that God can't or won't use those extras, but they are extra. Yeah. 
and uh, sometimes they're really extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but <clears throat> I, I think it's a it's a um, kind of a challenge to to us, especially us, you know, we Baptists, yeah. us Baptists, um, to say, you know, we've got this rich heritage of how do these churches grow? They preached the word. Yeah, they prayed together, and that was it. Yeah. So maybe God being who he is, yeah. immutable, unchangeable, all-knowing, all-powerful, will do the same thing if we're he'll, faithful. He'll do what he said. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I mean, I already did bring up our, our one of my fam- uh, favorites now, uh, Robert Murray McShane, mm-hmm. more yeah, recently, yeah. Yeah. but that his quote is also relevant here. Uh, it says, if thou meanest to enlarge thy religion, do it rather by enlarging thy thine ordinary devotions than thy extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not any rocket scientist, man. Yeah. If you love the Lord, you'll go to him and he will, he will do what he has said. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, Bunyan is also mentioned for a brief moment. Yes. John Bunyan. Yeah. One of the. He's an interesting another, character. He is. And he, I mean, it's hard to, um, you know, because he's such a, a big and a well-known figure. Right. And. Well, now. Now. And accepted. Yes. Now. Yes, but really not so much at the time. Not so much. Um, and the question of whether he, how much he had in common with these guys is a little bit of a open question because maybe he, yeah. he, he had some he had some major disagreements i think open communion op- open membership was one of them yeah that was probably the one that i was like really yeah open membership yeah but you know still uh you know uh tremendously blessed the church through through his writing yeah but, absolutely um it's yeah it's interesting i think think the other one that um will leave you to go and and grab the book and read it for yourself was a section in the chapter on Benjamin Keach on the hymn singing controversy mm. and the part, the role that he played in that. So that's an interesting bit of, uh, of history there too, as well. So go and check that out. Yeah. And it's as always, right. This is part of the reason why we find history in general, but particularly no pun intended, <laughs> uh, church history, mm-hmm. uh, interesting is because a lot of, I mean, <laughs> Ecclesiastes, says it oh, right yeah. there's nothing new mm-hmm. every kind of crazy thing that we're looking at or seeing or experiencing or questioning or wondering about there's a very very good chance that the brothers who went before us in the faith have dealt with those exact same things mm-hmm. and so we would be wise to mine those resources yeah for all that we can um reformation not reformation trust they have the Puritan paperback series. Banner of Truth. Banner of Truth. Yes. Those are those are wonderful. Yes. You always tempt me with their winter sale <laughs> for Christmas, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to spend $100 on all these books, and I'm going to get the whole collection, but maybe one day I will. But yeah. I highly recommend those. I've got oh, like oh, yeah. three of them. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of them, but they're yeah. all just fantastic. Yeah, not a whole lot of Baptists, but, you know. Yeah, you, but hey, that's our heritage, right? Yeah. Puritan <laughs> heritage. Owen would have been a Baptist. Yep. Hey, they're all Baptists now. <laughs> <laughs> our favorite Baptist <clears throat> joke. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, uh, again, we are, that was probably another thing that really struck me was the humility mm. that each of these brothers had. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I think 
and I say this being someone who has often needed to be humble, um, that I think their humility is part of the reason why in those moments of intense persecution, they had a trust. Yeah. Because in, in those moments of persecution, they, what do you, you can't rely on yourself. No. You have to know that there is a God in heaven who is going to, mm-hmm. who, who can save you, but may not. Right. Yeah. Right. And then even in that moment saying, I'm not going to stop. I'm yeah. going to do, I'm going to obey God. Yeah. And I think that's something that comes from humility. Yes. Mm-hmm. A genuine, true humility. And that's one of the, that's one of the marks of, I think, almost every godly man mm-hmm. uh, that you see from history, church history. Right. Is that humility. Right. Yeah. And I think that is a work of the spirit and uh, something that we all should pray for. Yes, absolutely. Because Presbyterians believe that what they believe is the truth. Right. And Baptists mm-hmm. believe that what they believe is the truth. Mm-hmm. Yep. And... You know, Methodists, well... Yeah, I mean, they, you could go right on down the line. <clears throat> yeah. When it when it comes down when it comes down to it, everybody believes that what they are saying yeah. is the truth. Even if, you know, you get out, outside the church, or sadly some inside who would probably say call themselves inside the church, well, that's true for you, but it's not for mm. me. Like, uh, but, I mean, the easy one there is, well, is that, is that <laughs> true for me also or or is that just true for you right like right. obviously to to make the claim is to say that you believe that it's true yeah um so that the truth is exclusive right we we all have that in common but like you say we do well to to show uh to exercise humility in yeah, those absolutely. situations exercise humility show grace and i think you'll do well yeah well that's it any other comments i think that's it but uh yeah the book is not it's not a ex- very easy read. It's an easy read. It's not expensive. So we'll we'll uh, send you a link. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes page if anybody's interested in grabbing a copy for themselves um, and having a look at the English Baptist heritage. Yeah. Or Baptist heritage in general. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Because that's where, I mean, you look at the southern, no, the largest, uh, well, you know, lar- air quotes, <laughs> uh, largest denomination in the United States is uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, right. which was founded upon our Confession of Faith, yes, which is yes. in 1689. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, there was a reason for that. And there's also reasons for why that is no longer the case. Yes, that would be, that, and it, this book doesn't get into it, but that's also very interesting. I think we talked about it a little bit at our first group meeting, mm-hmm. uh, but it's interesting to, to trace the history of that and see how how it came to uh, America and how it was transformed and uh, how much of it is left now. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's another future episode idea. We'll see. Yep. But I think that's it. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by, you guys. Uh, God bless, and we hope that this has been helpful.